0: This is episode number 626 of the Inner Fight Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that no matter where you are in the world, you are safe, you are indoors, hopefully you're with family. And of course, hopefully if you're in the UAE, you're eating Smith Street Paleo food, you're getting it delivered to your doorstep two days a week, three days a week, every day, whenever you need it. If not, give them a shout. They are our show sponsors. Or hop over to smithstreetpaleo.com and cook for yourself. That could be an idea as well. Hello at smithstreetpaleo.com if you want to hear more from those guys. Today's guest, the guest that I have on today, is an incredibly interesting gentleman. And it couldn't be more timely. Mr. Nir Ayal is, to all intents and purposes, all about behavior. He's a best-selling author. He has two books. He's an angel investor. He's, <laughs> he's a man of many, many tricks, techniques, and he shares quite a few of those with us in this show. I love talking to him in these times, I'm sure you're going to get so much value out of what Nir has to say. Please do, once we're finished, I've linked to loads of different stuff in the show notes. Go and check out all the resources that he's made available to us, to everyone over on his website. But for now, no matter where you are in the world, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in, for downloading the Inner Fight podcast. Let's get on with today's conversation with Nir Ayal. The intersection of psychology, technology, and business. Mr. Nir Ayal. that is on your website. What's going on here? <laughs> hey, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for having me on the show. <laughs> like, not at all. Welcome. We've tried this show a couple of times. We've now got it. You're in Singapore. You're You're, you're from New York. I want to get how you got there. I mean, we've just talked about it before, but it's very interesting what you said. We're still in the middle of COVID. So why you sat in Singapore?
1: Yeah, I just decided that uh, I didn't want to be a burden on a healthcare system that wasn't keeping up with the existing population. So, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a pretty good record of being ahead of the curve on things. Uh, I got into social media when nobody was into social media. That was my, my uh, second company. My first company was in the solar energy business before anybody was in solar energy. It was still a bunch of guys left over from the Carter years. And uh, this time as well, I I knew uh, that this was going to be bad and that I didn't want to be in Midtown Manhattan where we live. And so uh, I checked the flight prices to some of the safer places. And uh, I love Singapore. I've been here before. So flights were super cheap. So I decided to hop on a plane and take my family here. And we've been like what everybody is experiencing now in terms of working from home and homeschooling. This is kind of my normal life. <laughs> right, I was gonna <laughs> with say the, with that. The yeah. yeah, We, you know, I've been working from home for years. I've been homeschooling our daughter for over six years now. Right. So, uh, so this isn't a huge change for us. So we could, we did, you know, have the luxury. Uh,
0: not everyone does, but we could just kind of pick up and come out here. Amazing, mate. You've got two books. You're a keynote speaker. You're an angel investor. You, you're ahead of the curve on things, as you've told us. But in your what are you and what do you do first? Because I want to jump into your books because they're so relevant right now, but what really is it? Explain to everyone what you really do. Sure, so I'm what
1: you call a behavioral designer. So I help companies build the kind of products and services that, use, that people use because they want to, not because they have to. So what does that mean? If you think about um, uh, educational software, how do you build good habits around getting kids to, uh, to interact with, with educational apps? Uh, when it comes to financial services software, how do you build products so that people save money? How do you build products? I work with a lot of companies in the healthcare space to try and get people to take the medication or use the medical devices that they want to use but aren't in the habit of of using. Uh, I've worked with companies like the New York Times to get people into the habit of uh, digesting the news through the New York Times app. So that was that was uh, the most of my work came out of my first book, uh, Hooked which is uh, about how to build habit-forming products. And so what I wanted to do was to democratize the techniques that companies like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack have demonstrated are very, very effective at changing consumer behavior. And I figured, you know, why should it just be the gaming companies and the social media companies that use Mm -hmm. these techniques? Anyone building a business can use these very same tactics uh, to get people hooked to healthy behaviors, not just frivolous things like playing video games and social media, Mm -hmm. but to good things as well. And so that was the subject of my first book. Uh, I came out of a class that I taught at Stanford for many years at the Hazel Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford, as well as the the business school there. And uh, then more recently uh, I published a book just last year that was, that's called Indistractable, how to control your attention and choose your life. So hook was about how to build habits. Indistractable is about how to break bad habits because, you know, I noticed in my own life that some of these products that I had studied that I tried to Uh, tell other people the secrets behind how these products are so sticky. I also found that at times I would overuse some of these things. I would Uh. overuse some of these products and services. You know, I'd I'd be with my daughter and instead of being fully present with her, I'd find myself on my phone or uh, I would say I was going to work out and I'd skip it. I would say I was going to eat healthy and I wouldn't. I would say I was definitely going to work on that big project and somehow I would procrastinate for yet another day. And so, you know, a few years ago, I decided if I could have any superpower. I would want the power to simply do whatever it is I said I was going to do, right? The power to live with personal integrity. Because this is why I call being indistractable the skill of the century, because nobody today can say that they have the excuse that they don't know what to do, right? So it used to be a generation ago, and I should preface this by saying people who are fortunate enough to be in a socioeconomic position to have access to the internet, that a few generations ago before the internet, you could say, I don't know how to get into shape, right? I don't know how to eat right. I don't know how to exercise. I don't know how to be better at my job. I don't know how to have better relationships. Today, if you want the answer to any of those things, Google it, right? Mm. <laughs> it's yeah, all out there. It's all so out. nobody with an internet connection can say they don't know what to do. Yeah. What we can't, what, that's not the problem. It's not the information gap. It's the action gap. Why, mm. despite knowing what to do, why don't we do it? And so that's really the question I wanted to answer behind Becoming Indistractable is how amazing would our lives be if we simply did whatever it is we said we would do? That's what Becoming Indistractable is all about.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very interesting that, that disconnect that, that, that you sort of talk about there, isn't it? It's like we want to, but then we can't, and, and why, and it puts us off. I want to just skip back a little bit, mate. How did you develop a an interest or a fascination in, I'm always interested to see where the, the root of these things actually start out. Hmm. Uh,
1: for me, my interest in behavioral design probably came from, uh, childhood to be honest. Uh, so I used to be clinically obese as a kid and, uh, I went to fat camp and I remember my mom taking me to the doctor and the doctor saying, okay, you know, here's normal weight on the chart. Here's overweight. Here's obese. Here's you. <laughs> like I, I grew up in Thanks. Central Florida, and so <laughs> yeah. like pools. You know, we constantly were at the pool. And uh, I was a kid. I'd never take my shirt off because I didn't want right. people to see my roles. And I remember at at a certain age, like I remember feeling like food controlled me. And um, I, I had some of the same thoughts that I think I originally had around technology that. It was the food doing it to me. It's McDonald's. It's the big food companies. They're making me eat this stuff. Yeah. But that's not true. I <laughs> wanted it to be true. I wanted yeah. it to be true. And I was fascinated by the techniques. They certainly make their products as tasty as they possibly can. But really, you know, through many years, it took me this journey to understand that the reason I was overeating, the reason I was obese was not because... Uh, food was too delicious because those big bad food manufacturers were doing it to me because I was eating my feelings, Yeah, right? That fundamentally, uh, it wasn't a a character flaw. It was that I just didn't have the skills to deal with my feelings in such a way that was helpful and and healthful rather than hurtful. You know, I would eat when I was bored. I would eat when I was lonely. I would eat when I was mad at myself for overeating. And interestingly enough, this turns out to be the root cause of all distraction, that all distraction, in fact, begins from within, that uh, we call this an internal trigger, that the reason we find ourselves going off track and not doing what we plan to do, the reason we procrastinate and get distracted is because of a feeling we don't know how to deal with, whether it's boredom, loneliness, uncertainty, fatigue, fearfulness. When we feel these uncomfortable sensations, we look for escape. Whether it's with too much booze, yeah. too much news, too much football, too much Facebook, it doesn't matter. It's all about this desire to escape an uncomfortable emotion. And if we don't deal with that fact first and foremost, mm. we will always be distracted by one thing or another.
0: It's interesting what you said there. And I think that's immediately going to resonate with people, isn't it? There's a feeling inside, and we need an outlet. And for a lot of people, that's food. For others, you mentioned the examples, mate, the, the common ones. Why do you think maybe you gravitated towards food. Why do a lot of people, I, I know they want to keep giving me a business because we're a fitness business and I think that's great that people do that. But why Why is food perhaps one of the first things that people go to?
1: I, I just think it's, it's uh, a few reasons. So one, it's incredibly accessible. It's, uh, you know, any analgesic, anything that solves pain is potentially addictive. So anything that takes your mind off of discomfort, whether it's television, uh, whether it's uh, the news, whether it's alcohol, whether it's whatever, uh, food, anything that takes your mind off of of a bad feeling is an analgesic, right? Anything that cures pain is potentially addictive. And so with food, not only is food, uh, thank goodness that we live in an age where this is the first generation in history where more people die of diseases of excess than from de- diseases of of, uh, 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 of um, scarcity, right? Mm. Fewer people today die because there isn't enough food than people who die because of uh, an excess of food, because of yeah. diabetes, heart disease, all these problems that happen when we eat in excess. Thank God we live in an age, because this is a new problem, right? Throughout the 200,000 years of human history, this has yeah. never happened before. When yes. We live in an age of excess. So, that's a, that's a good thing that we live in this age, but the price of progress is that w- it behooves us to learn how to self-regulate, that the people who succeed these days are people who are masters of their impulses mm. uh, because that's not necessarily a natural thing to do, right? Uh, if you imagine you know, 200,000 years ago when our free, a species first evolved in the savanna, if you saw something sweet and delicious, you ate it and you ate as much of it as you possibly could. Yeah, uh, you gorged on it because that would help your species survive. But of course, now we can't do that if every time we saw something sweet, we ate it. We'd have some problems. Lots
0: of people are trying to do that though.
1: Mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and, and this is this is a big problem because if we don't regulate ourselves, we overdo it and it comes, you know, it's for in the form of food. It's in the form of too much media, too much Facebook, too much whatever. Mm. Uh, we can overdo it on anything that takes our mind off of our problems and off of our pain. Now. Just because something is, is not natural to the species, just because our species has evolved that way, doesn't mean that we can't overcome it. There's lots of things that we have a natural impulse. We have a natural impulse towards a sex drive, but we don't have sex with just anyone who's attractive to us. We have norms. We have manners. We have rules around appropriate behavior. We don't kill someone who makes us mad, even though we do have an instinct towards violence. We are civilized and we don't do those things. And so we can absolutely learn how to be civilized in an age of so much choice. It's not a problem. It's progress.
0: Mm. That's a very, very interesting way to look at it. I want to continue on your journey, mate. So you've got these feelings and you're satisfying them with, with, with the food we've been through the, the, the young age. When did you realize that that's what you were doing?
1: When did I realize that, that I was eating my feelings? Yes. Um, I probably realized this in, in, uh, you know, when I try, I tried various diets, I would try fad diets, uh, it, you know, starting in high school, right. uh, when I went through puberty and, and the girls weren't paying attention to me and I was trying to figure out, you know, I'm sick of being the the funny fat kid and I wanted some, I wanted attention from, from yeah. the girls and I, I, uh, I, I wasn't getting any because I wasn't very attractive. So I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I get control over this? And at first I tried lots of fad diets, right? I would try the 30-day uh, the no carbs, the 30-day no fast food, the 30-day this. And that stuff never works. Uh, mm. The reason it doesn't work is because of two reasons. One, it's temporary, yeah. right? So, oh, I'm totally going to get in shape so I can get into my wedding dress or I can get into my wedding suit, right? And then what happens after the wedding? Ah! the hell the floodgates open don't they yeah exactly i mean that's that's the whole idiocy of a diet that people have this idea that a diet is a temporary thing well what makes you think that if you go back to eating the way you used to eat that you wouldn't look and feel the way you used to feel right so (laughs) So true it's ridiculous it's so so stupid and so that that's that's so important because it wasn't until i realized wait a minute if i don't you know i would conjure up the willpower to fight through 30 days of a, of, a, of a 30 day diet, but with you know willpower fails. Willpower yes. doesn't work over the long term. And what I found in my research over the past five years around people who are indistractable, they don't have a lot of willpower, right? They don't have a lot of self-control. What they have is systems. Right. They know that they will be tempted by distraction, whether that's food or Facebook or whatever, but they have a system in place to make sure that they don't succumb To those distractions, starting with understanding what is your internal trigger, starting with why do you look for escape in the first place? Because look, if that discomfort of whatever's going on inside of you, the fear, the loneliness, the uncertainty, whatever it might be, if that is still there and you don't have a habit of dealing with it in a healthy manner, it's gonna come out. It's always gonna come out in one way or the other. And and unless, you know, and no silly 30-day diet is gonna is gonna temper it. Uh, it might temporarily, but never yeah, over man. the short term. I mean, over I wanna, the long term.
0: I want to hold that thought. We're talking you personally. I now want to flip it, and, and and I've made some notes there because I think what you said about internal triggers is super important. It's going to resonate with a lot of people, but I want to go on the other side because your some of your skills by the sounds of it in Hooked is also creating products that hook people in and that you understand the psychology around the 30 day diet and how we can sell them and why we are putting billboards on main highways of buckets of chicken or whatever it is. Talk to us a little bit from that side, from, from your first book hooked, like how does a little bit maybe about the psychology, how that's working and, and maybe make what brands are doing to us and what to look out for. If you can spill all the beans, I don't know. (laughs) Well, the the idea
1: of the book uh, was to democratize the techniques that that are used, so that we can build uh, healthy habits in people's lives. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think I've ever worked with a company that tries to get people on the thirty day plan or anything like for that. Sure. Um, but what I have worked on is is programs that help people form healthy habits for the rest of their life. Yeah. Uh, whether that's you know Kahoot is a company that I I worked with that went public recently. It's the largest educational software in the world, getting kids into the habit, getting them hooked. To online education. Uh, FitBot, maybe you're familiar with FitBot. Yeah. It's a, a wonderful fitness app that gets people hooked to exercise. Um, so we can absolutely use these techniques for good. The, the basic idea is this four steps that you see embedded into all sorts of habit forming products. I call it the hook. Uh, and the hook is basically a trigger, an action, a reward, and an investment. And it's through these successive cycles, through these hooks, these are this is how habits are formed and how preferences are shaped.
0: Right, so that's what that's what people should be looking out for. so we can go back a little bit to that internal triggers. How do people figure out like we've identified with you, you, you knew it, you were overweight, you understood that you're eating your feelings. How do people dig down into that understanding of what their what their trigger is? Yeah, so it it starts by
1: tracking these behaviors. That what I advise people to do is when you find yourself getting distracted, you have a little piece of paper, a little, you know, you don't, it's nothing fancy and all you're doing is tracking when you get distracted, even either after the fact, or, you know, if it's something that happens in your mind, if you can simply note the sensation, that's Mm -hmm. it. Just note the sensation, say, "Ah, I'm feeling super bored. This is really hard. If you can just write that down, that's the first step towards reimagining those internal triggers in a helpful way. Because remember, you know, I think that there's a real disservice done in the self-help community these days Mm. that people are being told that feeling bad is bad. That uh, if you look at so many titles of books today, it's about being happy that we're supposed to be satisfied with life all the time. Everything has to be awesome. And if you're not feeling happy, that something's wrong with you. And nothing could be further from the truth that feeling bad is not bad. Yeah. It's about how you deal with that discomfort. So people tend to fall into two categories when it comes to distraction. We have what we call the blamers and the shamers. The blamers, they say, oh, it's something, you know, did it to me. My iPhone did it to me. Uh, uh, Facebook did it to me. My, the, oh, I hear this all the time. The world these days did it to <laughs> me. That's why I'm distracted, right? But of course, there's nothing you can do about that stuff. Yeah, right. You can't change that. You can't roll back the hands of time. And even if you did, you'd find that, guess what? People have always been distracted by one thing or another. You know, Today, yeah. they blame technology. Before that, they used to blame the television, the radio, all the way back to Socrates used to blame the written word. This terrible technology of writing things down was going to enfeeble men's minds. So people have always been distracted by one thing or another. So you don't want to be a blamer. What you also don't want to be is what we call a shamer. A shamer doesn't blame stuff outside themselves. They shame themselves. They say, oh, there's something wrong with me. Maybe I, I'm not good enough. Maybe I have something, you know, I always have such a short attention span. I'm so lazy. I'm always distracted. I'm always procrastinating. And they shame themselves into feeling worse, right? Shame Mm. is a very uncomfortable sensation. And so what do we do when we feel more shame? We feel more of these internal triggers that lead us to more distraction. Mm. So we don't want to be a shamer either. What we want to be is what we call a claimer. A claimer claims responsibility not for how they feel. This is a really important and almost never understood distinction. Most people don't understand the distinction that you do not control your feelings. You cannot control these urges. All you can control is how you respond to those urges, hence the word responsibility. So think about it like when you have the urge to sneeze. Okay. you can't control the urge to sneeze. If you feel like you have a sneeze, you already felt that urge. Yeah, right. What you can do is how you what you can change is how you respond to that feeling. Are you going to sneeze all over everyone or are you going to take a handkerchief and make sure you cover your nose so that people don't get sick around you? Mm -hmm. That would be the responsible thing to do. And the same thing goes with our sensations. Do you let these internal triggers get the best of you or do you utilize them? to lead you towards traction rather than distraction. Because remember, these feelings can really help us, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's in managing our weight, whether it's managing distraction, whatever it is, you can use the fear, the loneliness, the uncertainty, whatever it is that you're feeling, you can actually harness it like rocket fuel to drive you further than you would otherwise before. So the question is, do you let those internal triggers become something that leads you towards escape? Of that feeling, or do you let it lead you towards traction, moving towards what you want to do rather than the
0: opposite of traction is distraction? Incredible, mate. I mean, there's there's so much value in what you're saying. And if I could break it down simply for people, one of the best points, I think I'm quite a simple person, mate, as you may have may have gathered. When you're getting that feeling, take that pen and paper and write it down. Because yeah. We're the only way that we're going to understand things if, if we acknowledge what's going on. And I think we're, we're talking, and, and we've got to spin this around, and we've got to make it a lot more positive. But no, we're talking about like when shit's going wrong. But this also applies to when things are going right. And I really encourage people to do this like a lot. It's like, I've had an awesome day. Okay, why? Go g- grab your pen and paper and just write down three reasons why it was awesome, because then we're starting to create an association with the behavior that makes it awesome, and we can try and repeat that behavior on purpose as many, as many times as we can. Yeah, I, w- I, would, I would love to
1: say that people need a solution to feeling awesome, uh, but they don't. Even the most successful people I know, yeah, uh, and I know some very, very successful people, some people who are incredibly wealthy, yeah. have amazing relationships, are incredible in their career, and let me tell you, most of these time, most of the time these people spend their day dissatisfied.
0: It's crazy. And you
1: know what? That's what got them to be successful in the first place. Wow. Think about the person you know who thinks life is just awesome all the time. Everything's great. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they don't do anything. <laughs> so this is this is what I want to disavow. I want people to stop believing that feeling bad is bad. Yes. If you feel that itch of this is difficult, this is hard, this is boring. I don't like this. You know what that is? Mm. That is telling you that you are getting better at mm-hmm. something, yeah. right? If you're in the gym and you're just lifting weights, like you know, we've all seen that dude who just does this all day. <laughs> yeah. You're not yeah. doing anything. You're not getting better. If you're not feeling the pump, if you're not feeling the burn, if you're not pushing yourself, if it doesn't hurt. A little bit. You don't want to kill yourself. Yeah. But a little bit of that discomfort is necessary. And the same goes for writing. You know, I've written two books now, two bestsellers. I've written countless articles. It's never easy. It's no. always hard because no. I'm getting better and better at the task. So if we can change that dialogue in our heads yeah. to tell us. you know, Right now, one of the things that kills me, and I've been studying habits for over a decade now, there's this cult around habits. People want everything to be a habit today. And I've studied habits for a very, very long time. I read the literature backwards and forwards. And it's starting to become a bit of a cult right now. The people are too much into habits. Why? Because many people, when you hear them talking about habits, what they're really saying is, I want that thing that's really hard that I don't like doing, I want that to be easy. I want that to be effortless, right? But by definition, many people, Behaviors can't become habits, right? Mm. If you're pushing yourself harder in the gym, the definition of a habit is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. If you are really working hard in the gym, it's not effortless. It's effortful. If you're pushing yourself to be a better business person, a better writer, a better creative, whatever it is you do, if you're pushing yourself, it's not effortless. It's the opposite of that. It requires a lot of conscious thought. So you say, okay, well, near. what's the big deal? Isn't this just semantics? Who cares? People want to call it a habit. Here's why this is, this thinking is so dangerous. Here's what happens after 30, 60 days that people, you know, they read a book about habits and they say, okay, I'm going to start a habit of writing. I'm going to start an exercise habit. After 60 days, they think to themselves, this isn't easy. This is hard. Uh, <laughs> this doesn't feel good. It feels bad. Yeah. And they think that therefore they're doing it wrong. And you know what they do? They quit. Yeah. So what we have to do is to stop Uh, creating this fetish that habits are the solution to everything and realize some behaviors will never become habits. They should stay routines. A routine is simply a series of behaviors, oftentimes repeated. That's it. So routines don't have to be effortless. Habits, by definition, do. So we need to accept the fact that, look, there's going to be discomfort. But here's the thing. So I told you about writing it down. That's a very, very good step. Another thing you can do is to get curious about that sensation. Okay, so when you have that natural reaction of, oh, this is difficult, this is hard, this doesn't feel good, and you seek escape. Oh, let me just check Facebook for a minute. Let me just email real quick. Let me just check the news. Let me just take a break. Let me just eat something. Whatever it is that it's not what you wanted to do, Mm. I want you to get curious about that sensation, okay? Not contemptuous. Many people, they beat themselves up like those shamers we talked about earlier. Get curious rather than contemptuous. Sit with that feeling. And here's one technique that you can use. I use it all the time. It's called the 10-minute rule. The 10-minute rule says that you can give in to any temptation, okay? That piece of chocolate cake, the cigarette, checking the news, checking Facebook, whatever it is that, that tempts you with distraction, you can give in to it in 10 minutes. Not right mm-hmm. now, in 10 minutes. Now, this technique is incredibly effective and it's actually much more effective than strict abstinence. Strict abstinence is when we tell ourselves, don't do it, yes. right? Turns out that in studies that this is actually very difficult, particularly with behaviors where you can't avoid the triggers. So, uh, you know, you can't stop eating food, right? You have to eat to to live. You can't stop using technology, right? You'll get fired from your job for most people. So we don't want to use strict abstinence because strict abstinence tends to backfire. It's like a a rubber band, right? If you Mm. pull a rubber band, you pull, 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 pull. Eventually, you can't pull anymore. Mm. And when you let go, it doesn't just go to where it started. It ricochets across the room. And so that's what abstinence does to our, us mentally. When we say, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, oh, okay, fine, I'll do it. So relief the relief of telling ourselves don't do it
0: yeah.
1: relieves discomfort, relieves yeah. pain, and so it feels good. This is why cigarettes are so addictive. It's not just the nicotine, it's that when smokers tell themselves, I don't need to smoke, I don't need to smoke, I won't smoke, I'm not gonna smoke, I'm not gonna smoke, okay, fine. <laughs> it's like when you really have to pee yeah, and you, you finally let yourself go and you let yourself pee, the relief feels good. Even though it's not a pleasurable sensation, it's simply the relief of tension that is registered as relief. So instead of doing that, instead of strict absence, this is why 30-day programs don't work, whether it's digital detoxing or whatever that bullshit is doesn't work because of the same reason fad diets don't work because if we don't figure out a better way to deal with that internal trigger, it'll always come back and and sometimes it comes back with a vengeance. So here's what you do instead. You tell yourself, I'm going to let myself give into that urge, the chocolate cake, the cigarette, the facebook whatever in 10 minutes. Now, for those 10 minutes you only have two choices. You can either get back to the task at hand, okay? Keep doing whatever it is you said you wanted to do that was not giving into the, te- take, the temptation, finish working on that big paper, that report, exercise whatever it is that you said you wanted to do not get tempted tempted or just sit with that sensation. Okay? This is called surfing the urge and psychologists tell us that we, we misperceive negative emotions. When we feel sad, lonely, fearful, we feel like it's going to last forever. But of course it never does. And so if you can ride out that sensation, if you can surf the urge, like a surfer on a surfboard, what you find is that that sensation crests and then subsides. So just 10 minutes, literally set, a, set an alarm. You know, I'll take out my phone and say, set an alarm for 10 minutes. Yeah. I'll put my phone down and I'll just sit for a minute. And when I'm ready, I'll get back to the task at hand. Now, if the phone rings and the 10 minutes are up, I'm allowed to give in to the temptation, but here's what happens. 90% of the time, nine times out of 10, you don't desire it anymore. Yeah. That, that feeling, that urge is gone. You've forgotten about it. So it's a very, very effective technique. Now. I'm giving you the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more in the book. Of I'll course, give you some very practical tips.
0: Yeah, of course, mate. And that's—I mean—that's what's good. It's—it's—it's it's, it's practical tip and a, a lot of good stuff behind it, mate. I guess we are still—we're in the middle. You're in Singapore. We're in the middle of COVID nineteen. These indistractable is so fitting at this time we've got people working in their own homes in their living rooms homeschooling you said at the start that actually it's fine because you've been homeschooling for a long time (laughs) but people are struggling on every level and i think it's my gut feeling we're we're pretty close to the start like we've only been locked down or locked up or in isolation whatever you want to call it for you know three weeks four weeks the curve looks like it's going to take a while to reach its peak here in Dubai. And I know this is not great news for those listening. My word is not final. You can read anything you want, but people are facing a lot of issues that kind of you're speaking about. And that's, that's obviously in in, in the book. I'm first interested to get your take on human behavior. Now that we're being isolated that we've been, we're not allowed to move. What's what's going on with us mentally?
1: Yeah. So there's a few things going on that I think can really take a toll on people's uh, mental and physical states. One is that uh, we have a few a few different factors. One is that we have more external triggers prompting us towards distraction. Right. So the right. fact that we're you know all within you know arms reach of our devices or our televisions, or whatever source of, of information means that if we are looking for a distraction, it's easier than ever to find. Right. And part of the problem is that we live in suddenly a much more stressful time, that we didn't know it when we were in it, but we used to live in the good old days, yeah. right? There's a good chance we will tell our kids, I remember the good old days. Now things are different. Hopefully that won't be the case for very long, but this is, this is definitely a dip in human prosperity and flourishing. This is going to be here for a little while. I don't think it's, we're going to bounce back. I agree. I don't think this is something yeah. that we bounce back to very quickly. It's going to take, it's going to take years, I think, yeah. um, unfortunately. But what this has caused for a lot of people is more stress. Why? Because there's more uncertainty. There's more fear. So those internal triggers are causing us to look for escape. And if we don't have the mental toolkits to deal with that discomfort in a healthier fashion, I just talked about a couple techniques. There's a lot more we can do. What we want to do is to have that toolkit ready, right? We want those arrows in our quiver so that whenever we feel these internal triggers, we know how to deal with them in a healthful way, as opposed to a harmful way. So more internal triggers. That's one big thing. Uh, Another thing that I think has changed for many people's lives is that we, for many people, they don't have the, uh, the, the the calendar, the schedule that gave their day order and regularity and, and established some constraints. And we know that constraints, it's, it's a little bit ironic. Most people think they're they're most creative when they have nothing scheduled. And that's actually the opposite of what is actually yeah. true. That in fact, creativity being your best actually only happens when you have constraints. Yeah. If you ask any author, the hardest part about writing is when you're staring at the blank page. If you ask an artist, the hardest part is when you have a blank canvas and you don't know what to paint. Yeah. It's the, the, you need constraints, and those constraints around time can be very helpful. So here's when I have to be in the office. Here's when I have to pick up the kids. Here's when I have to prepare dinner. That gives our life order and constraints, and now we're at home. I actually just saw the other day that uh, the search result for people typing in what day is it, has gone off the charts. Oh my God! <laughs> People literally typing into Google, "What day is it?" No. Because you lose track of time. Yeah. And so, one of the things that you know, I, I wanted to, to tell you, there's four steps to becoming indistractable. We talked a little bit about the first step around mastering the internal trigger. Step two is making time for traction. Remember, we talked about that traction is the opposite of distraction. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the here's a rule here. I want you to remember. Write this down if you can. That you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from, which means if you don't know in advance what it is you wanted to do, it is impossible to get distracted from it. Because what did you want to do? (laughs) Your whole day is one big distraction and eventually your whole life will be one big distraction because you didn't say what you wanted to do with your time. And so that used to be less of a problem for a lot of people because they had the constraints around, okay, I got to go fight traffic. Then I got to get to the office and I got meetings and I got lunch. Their day had rigidity to it. It had some kind of schedule today. People have no schedule because they're working from home all day. Mm. And so maybe they have a call here or there, which is why it is absolutely imperative. Even though you don't have to, you should make a schedule time to work out. Even if you're not leaving your house to go work out, when are you going to do that? When are you going to be in bed to make sure you have proper rest You know, how do you make time for interacting with people you love? How do you make sure that you take care of yourself in a way, whether that's prayer or meditation or whatever it is that you do for your own well-being? Put that in a schedule. Even the fun stuff, maybe especially the fun stuff. So if you like playing video games, awesome! I want you to play video games. If you enjoy being on Facebook, do it. I'm not anti-technology. I want you to enjoy that technology, but I want you to do it on your schedule not the tech companies. Mm. If you decide for yourself, I'm going to go on YouTube for an hour without guilt, that's my YouTube time, do it, enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with this technology. It's not melting your brain. That's a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) If you decide in advance, this is when you're going to play that video game, be online, do whatever it is you want to do, then it's no longer distraction. You have turned it into traction because that's exactly what you wanted to do with your time.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's super interesting, isn't it? Because we we hear from people, oh, it'd be so great if I could work from home. I spend more time with the kids, and now we've been put into this into the comfort of our own homes. It's ultimately caused us extreme discomfort because you know, <laughs> for some people, for for, for, for yeah, for some, and it's okay. quite. There's a there's almost a a pattern of people. Some are coming up and some are going down as well. Like some were really good at the start and then some people start to struggle. And then I, yeah. How how do you feel about like, I I know in Singapore we were saying before, like they're pretty strict on things. How do you Mm. feel personally knowing what you know about how the human mind works? How do you feel in yourself about being, under this state of sort of constricted movement,
1: you mean having having to stay home more and not, yeah, you know, yeah. practicing social distancing and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think in every opportunity uh, or in every situation, there's 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 room for uh, for hope, right? There's room for uh, what, what we call post traumatic stress, uh, as opposed to post traumatic stress, post traumatic growth. Yeah. And so this is a this is a trauma, right? This is definitely a trauma that many of us are feeling. We are mourning what our lives used to look like. And, and we should acknowledge that. Wow. But of yeah. course, after that mourning period comes this next period of what do we do about it? Mm. Uh, do, we, do we constantly seek escape from this new reality? Mm. Uh, do we spin our wheels? You know, we see a lot of people uh, in this cycle of rumination where we check constantly the news or you know uh, our friends' opinions or some guru's take on things just to know, you know that there's some magical answer for what comes next that will know what to do with our lives in this new reality. And of course, nobody's going to tell you the secret answer. There is no secret answer. The secret answer is to decide for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and that's hard work. Most people would rather have their lives be dictated by somebody else. Here's what you're going to do. Just do this, right? I've got the answer. Just follow my belief system and you'll be fine. But of course, it's not fine. It's fine for them, not
0: fine for you. And but so six many months us, ago, the, they were the same people that wanted freedom. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, point. yeah. It's going all over the shop, isn't it?
1: No, that's true. And, and this, I think this makes a really good point that if you don't deal with those internal triggers in a way that serves you as opposed to you serving them, you're always miserable. Right? It's no, it's no surprise that the people who were like, Oh, I hate my boss. I wish I didn't have to come to the office. Wouldn't it be great if I could work from home? And, and, and we're miserable working in the office are now at home saying, Oh, I got to be around my kids all the time. Uh, this is terrible. I can't go outside. I can't, you know, because it's not, it's not what happens to them. It's them.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so that's
1: why we have to master these internal triggers. That's so important.
0: Incredible. Mate, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I've just got two or three more questions. One is, in a time like this, do you personally go deeper? Are you able to do more work? or And, and, and what are you working on now? You've got two books, you're into a load of different things. What's what's your focus? Yeah, so my, my life right now,
1: other than being in a different location geographically, my life is, hasn't changed all that much. Uh, I still keep my Morning routine of, uh, you know, I have breakfast with my family and then I do some exercise and then I write. Uh, and then in the afternoon, and then I have lunch with my family and then I uh, have calls and meetings and interviews uh, virtually now uh, yeah. in the afternoon. Uh, so I'm still, you know, my, my main focus is research and writing. So uh, I don't know what my next book is about, but this is typically what I do. Uh, you know, I just published Indistractable in September. And so uh, what I did after Hooked, I kind of just dabbled around and find interesting topics. And I really follow my curiosity. I, I look for questions that I want answered. And when I read everybody else's books on the topic, uh, typically I find the answers I'm looking for. But once in a while, every five years or so, I'll find something that you know nobody else has really answered to my satisfaction. And that's when I decide, you know what, I want to write my own book because the reason I write my books is because I want the answer, right? Yeah. I was crazy distracted. I didn't write indistractable because I I, I I, was indistractable. I wrote indistractable because I wanted to become indistractable. Right. And every other book on the topic, frankly, was, was crap. It either wasn't scientific, it wasn't based on good research, or the tactics simply didn't work. Uh, and typically the ones that weren't based on the research were the ones that didn't work. You know, silly techniques like the 30-day digital detox idea uh, or blaming technology. That's the problem. That's so short-sighted. I wanted Mm. something super practical that not only I knew worked, but was based on good science. And so in the book, there's 30 pages of peer-reviewed journals and the citations that you can see because I really wanted something based on good science.
0: Talking about books, I don't know if there has been any released on COVID-19 yet, but are you as an author yourself, mate, and someone that moves in in that, area are we expecting a lot of books a lot of uh a lot more i i mean i'm expect i'll give you my opinion so far i'm expecting a a plethora of new self-help books how to live in isolation being being the first one and then a load of obviously mate we've seen it on social media various videos but the shelves by Christmas on conspiracy theories, how this died and how you know <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the latest Probably. is today. Is it a lab? But what's what's your thoughts from from an author's standpoint on what might what we might see rolling out towards the end of the year? I don't know. That's
1: a, that's a really good question. You know, every, every, what, what you see on store shelves is, uh, you know, typically years and years in the making. I mean, it took me five years to, to have the idea for Indistractable until it actually got on store shelves. So uh, for most authors, I mean, there are, there are a few books that, that they crash on the shelves very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but most of this stuff has been around, for, you know, author's head's kicking around for a long time. Um, you know, I, I think it's more interesting than what's on bookstore shelves, I think is what's happening on social media. That yeah. I think before uh, this COVID crisis, uh, you know, we were kind of complaining about, oh, social media is so frivolous and fake news, and uh, you know, the social media companies should shut down people who aren't telling the truth. And I think that's really easy to say in the context of you know things that are clearly abhorrent, right? White supremacy, mm-hmm. uh, anti vaxxers like that's really easy to say to point fingers at the social media companies to tell them to take that stuff down. Yeah, but. You know, it's really interesting because now I think we've entered this new era that we really begin to appreciate that, uh, you know, for every flat earth nut and anti-vaxxer, you get the person who actually knows what they're talking about, who has information that is contrary to what the mainstream believes Mm. and sometimes including uh you know very prominent organizations i i you know this happened to me with the with the face mask uh issue that uh, i wrote an article imploring people to put on face masks after i read uh what the the head of the cdc said telling people not to wear face masks Mm. and i did some digging and did some research and uh it was very clear we should absolutely all be wearing face masks not because they protect the wearer but that they prevent transmission of the person who is sick and doesn't know they're asymptomatic this is why we should all be wearing masks and i wrote this article and it was amazing how many people in the comments were like what are you talking about you're not a doctor how dare you the cdc the world health organization says don't wear masks who are you to object this is the power of the internet is that it takes people who have a contrary opinion like i did to say no they're wrong This Uh is important, right? And I don't do that often. I I don't think in my life I've ever said somebody as prominent as an organization like the CDC or World Health Organization was wrong. But in this case, they were wrong. And there's a course. I wasn't the only person saying that. But there was a lot of nuts on social media saying that this advice was wrong. And I think now we appreciate the fact that you get the good with the bad. That uh, for every person who says, you know, we do need to wear face masks and does save lives because of, of... uh, arguing for, for something as counter, uh, you know, as as against the grain as, as, of what most people believe of of popular opinion. Mm. Uh, the, the, the price of having that is that you also have a bunch of people who are, who are just wrong, wrong about various topics that we don't agree
0: with. it's very interesting to, to, to see the shift on social media or like different sources, the news that we're getting. And and I don't want to dwell too much on covid but like we're seeing stuff from the front line that maybe five years ago we wouldn't see because we've got access to social media and it's um totally yeah it's 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 interesting how it might play out i was, I was reading something the other day and looking at some stuff about how ai is impacting social media now and that's also that's also very frightening what might happen there mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. but um mate I don't want to take too much more of your time. My final question, okay. and you've offered up so much. I, I, I think it's, it's so useful. It's obviously pressing that we talk a little about COVID and human behavior is just such a, a nice wrap. But, you know, amazing books. And, and, and thank you for, for taking the time, mate. I always like to finish okay. with this question, which is you obviously know a lot about a lot of different things. You've shared a lot of that with the world. But if you were to sum everything up you've learned, and leave us with one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Sure. So
1: so if there was one mantra that if you want to summarize indistractable, it's this, that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That when it comes to doing things against our best interest, right? When it comes to this question that I wanted answered of, why is it that despite knowing what to do, I don't do what I know I should, right? And this is an age old question. Plato talked about this 2,500 years ago. He called it akrasia in the Greek. Mm. The answer is that we are impulsive, that we do things against our best interest because these, these uncomfortable sensations, these impulses get the best of us. But here's the good news, that our species can do something better than every other species on the face of the earth that human beings can see into the future with higher fidelity than any other creature that's walked the earth. We can predict what is going to happen better than any other animal. And so what that means is that we can take steps now to prevent distraction later. How do we do that? If we leave it to the minute, right? If we wait, if you wait till the chocolate cake is on the fork, you're gonna eat it. If a cigarette is lit in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If you sleep next to your cell phone every night on your nightstand, you're going to pick it up first thing in the morning because you've already lost, right? Mm. These companies are going to get you. They're going to get you to do what they want you to do. And I know exactly how they do it. I wrote the book, Hooked. I know exactly yeah. how they do uh, this stuff. <laughs> so, so you say, okay, well, these things are certainly designed to change your behaviors. The food companies make their food delicious. The tobacco companies make their products addictive. The tech companies make their products habit-forming. But they have nothing, nothing against a person who plans ahead. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. You don't need self-control. You don't need willpower. You need a system. You need a plan in place today to make sure you don't get distracted tomorrow. That's what becoming indistractable
0: is all about. Mate, absolute champion, near. Thank you so much. Guys, go check him out, nearandfar.com. The book's over there, mate. Thank you for sharing that last 45 minutes with us. Absolutely brilliant. Inspiring as well. I I just appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure, Marcus. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Awesome. Stay safe in in, in Singapore. Guys, go and have a look over on nearandfar.com. Grab the books. This guy can teach us stuff, especially now. Before, yes, but now even more so, right, (laughs) mate? (laughs)
1: amazing
0: thank you thank you thanks so
1: much